This is the Sibling Library Podcast. You will know when to start listening when you hear the chimes ring like this. Let's begin now. Welcome listeners to Sibling Library. We'd like to wish you a very Merry Christmas. I'll be your host today. I'm Katie. I'm Megan. And I'm Julia. Welcome. We've got a fun show lined up for you. Uh, we're going to start off by doing a little icebreaker around Yola Bokaflot, which is an Icelandic tradition we've talked about on previous episodes. But in case you haven't joined us before today, um, we want to give a little background on that. So Yola Bokaflot is an Icelandic Christmas book tradition. It actually translates to Icelandic Christmas book flood. And it began in 1944 during World War II when paper was one of the few commodities that had not been rationed during the war. So this resulted in increasing the giving of books as gifts and has remained a tradition since that time and has actually recently become a family tradition of ours that we are starting this year as well. We're doing it Secret Santa style. We're doing it Yola Bokoflat book exchange. Um, but what we're going to do as as part of our discussion today is it, we thought it would be fun for each of us to bring a recommendation uh, for a type of book to gift if you decided to participate in Yola Bokaflot or you just wanted to give a gift, a book as a gift in general. So um, Julia is going to tell us a example of a children's book that she would recommend for this tradition. Thank you, Katie. Very well explained. I do have a recommendation for kids, but honestly, books are for everyone. So don't let kids, young adult or adult, like discourage you from reading. As long as you understand what you're reading, that book is for you. You can decide whether the content is something that you like or not. But honestly, just read. All right, I will get off my soapbox. Um... So the book that I recommend for children is called How Do You Live by Genzaburo Yoshino. Um, and this is uh, an interesting book because it is not a new book, um, but this is the first time that it's been released in uh, the United States. It was originally um, published in 1935. So it's pretty old. No, wait, that was not when it was published. It was originally published in 1937. Pardon me, I misspoke. How um, dare you? <laughs> I know. 1935 <laughs> is when the author became director of a collection of educational books for young people. So clearly he has a good background in children's books. The reason that this book caught my attention um, was because it is a classic in Japanese culture. And it is actually um, Hayao Miyazaki's favorite childhood book. And I have heard that um, he's actually going to make it be make it as his last film. So I'm very interested to see how that turns out. And I always like to read the book before I see a film. So that is my uh, recommendation. It is called. How Do You Live by Genzaburo Yoshino. Very nice. Yeah. Thank you for that, Julia. And Megan is actually going to take us through a recommendation for a young adult. 
book that she would recommend. I will. Um, this is one I believe I talked about on a, one of our earlier episodes, um, but it's called Clap When You Land by Elizabeth Acevedo. And to be honest, you could pick up anything by Elizabeth Acevedo and it would be a great gift. Um, I'm recommending this one because it, uh, I feel, well, first, I think it's her newest one. So I usually like to, to gift new books, but uh, she also wrote the poet X and several others, but they're all um, novels in verse. And that's kind of why I, another reason why I chose this one. I feel like um, a novel in verse is a great gift for somebody who might not have ever tried reading that type of novel before, um, because it's a, especially for someone who's a reluctant reader and they see a big long book that it, the pages are just filled and filled with words. If you hand them a, a novel in verse and they open it, they're like, oh, I can get through this much faster than a typical book. Um, and it's not like a novel in verse. It's not like Shakespeare. Like it's not written in a code. It's just kind of written in, um, I don't know how to explain it. It's, she writes what she means, not what she wants you to interpret, if that makes sense. So it's um, not necessarily like poetry. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it is it's free verse poetry. It's not it doesn't rhyme. It just uh, it's kind of like almost like. I'm not doing a great job of explaining what this is. I find it difficult to explain what writing in verse means as yeah. well because when you think of it i always thought oh that means it's gonna like rhyme and stuff yeah but it yeah. doesn't you're you're right it it reads like a book yeah it reads like a book and almost almost kind of like stream of consciousness in some ways but more cohesive than just stream of consciousness and obviously it's you can't just sit down and write a novel in verse like it takes probably uh, not probably it takes a lot of forethought and planning um but it's just a really it's a great way for someone who is a reluctant reader to be able to access reading a longer story if that makes sense that's my recommendation what do you have katie so i was given the, the category of adult books, and I'll put a caveat to what, what Julie said before. This is a book that definitely is for more mature readers. It's recommended for age 16 and up. Um, it has some very adult content, so be, be forewarned. But I would recommend uh, the graphic novel comic book series Saga. Writer is Brian K. Vaughn, and the art is by Fiona Staples. <laughs> And now, question. Yes. Are you recommending the compendium? Or? Oh, yes. I am recommending the compendium. I'm going to get there. So um, I'm going to do the the pitch from Goodreads on this because it had been a couple years since I'd read it, and I'll explain why in a second. But to describe what this book is about, that this is from Goodreads. Um, it says, when two soldiers from opposite sides of a never-ending galactic war fall in love, they risk everything to bring a fragile new life into a dangerous old universe. Saga is the sweeping tale of one young family fighting to find their place in the worlds. Fantasy and science fiction are wed like never before in this sexy, subversive drama for adults. 
And that's exactly how I would describe it if I had to place it in a genre. It's it's fantasy sci-fi, which is a really cool pairing to me. Um, this book is one that I subscribe to with my local co comic book shop, but it's been an, on hiatus since 2018. And up until that point, there's been 54 issues um, that have been released of the story. And it, it ended on a very intense cliffhanger back in 2018 and hasn't come back since then. There is a compendium available that collects all 54 issues that are available up till now. And it would be a great gift for this year specifically because it's da -da 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 -da, returning in January. So January 26, 2022 is actually coming back. And I'm super excited to, to jump back into that story. Um, the next issue is issue 55. And when it returns, it's gonna be a, du a double length issue um, in, that's totaling 44 pages. So it's a good time to get caught up and jump into that that story because it's a really, really fun one. Nice All right, great recommendation. I, Thank I, you. I guess I'd better finish reading. <laughs> I yeah, that was, I borrowed from you. That was actually going to be my next point. It, Julia, I want that back as soon as possible. <laughs> Not really. Take your time. I'll, I'll have the, the, uh, the new issues ready too once you're done with it and then I'll do my reread. But I am excited to get back into that one. All right, so for the main part of our discussion for this episode, we decided that each of us were going to revisit a Christmas story from our childhoods that that we really enjoyed reading, and each of us are going to go in and do a deep dive into that story. I'm going to kick it off, and I read How the Grinch Stole Christmas. The reason I chose this is because for about a month and a half leading up to Christmas, I Grinch pretty hard, and yes, Grinching is a verb. So I thought it would be a good a good story for me to visit, kind of examine a little bit, and um, maybe not Grinch as hard if possible. <laughs> so um, I want to start off with a little bit of history. The Grinch, the, the character, first appeared in a women's magazine called Red Book uh, in 1955, and it was a 32-line illustrated poem, and at that time it was called The Hubub and the Grinch. And then later on, he decided, uh, he being Dr. Seuss, I shouldn't assume that everyone knows who wrote it, <laughs> it was by Dr. Seuss, um, decided to write it and make it a, more of a, a full-length uh, children's book. And he finished writing the book in 1957. And actually, the inspiration for the Grinch character was himself. In an interview with Red Book in 1957, he was quoted saying, something had gone wrong with Christmas, I realized, or more likely with me. So I wrote the story about my sour friend, the Grinch, to see if I could rediscover something about Christmas that that obviously I'd lost. And I think that's kind of what I'm connecting with is sometimes I have to remember what Christmas is about because I get caught up in the stress and I'm a procrastinator. So I tend to wait until the last minute to to shop for gifts and then I feel guilty about it. So um, this is something that that I kind of connected with. Uh, another interesting thing that I found was he put a little Easter egg in the story in the the line that says, why for 53 years I've put up with it now. And at the time that he wrote it, he was actually 50 year, 53 years old. So he was he was truly writing himself into that character. 
He said that it was the easiest book of his career to write. The only part that he struggled with was trying to figure out how to wrap up the story because at the end he he felt like, you know, trying to articulate the moral, he felt like he was being too preachy to the reader. So he wound up ending it very simply um, just with him, with, with the Grinch sitting at Christmas dinner with the Who's. And it really kind of spoke for itself what that meant. So... It took him a little while to get there, but the, the leading up to that, it, it only took him a few weeks to write, and then he kind of struggled with that and, until he settled on the ending. Um, and then if you haven't read the story, here are some spoilers. Just as a warning, I'm going to do a little summary of the story. Um, if I had to explain what it was about, I'd say that it's a story of an outsider. Uh, the Grinch is someone who hates Christmas. It's not really explained in the story why, at least in the original version of the book. There are theatrical versions later on that build in a backstory and and more of a, an explanation for that. But in the original version, there's really no rhyme or reason. He just hates Christmas. Um, he spends year after year, again, Grinching at the top of Mount Crumpet. And since Misery loves company, he decides to disguise himself as Santa Claus, and he steals everything having to do with Christmas from Whoville. But his plan backfires, and the Whos aren't dismayed at the loss of all of their toys and food and gifts and, and everything that has to do with Christmas like he thought would happen. And this made him realize that Christmas isn't just about what can be bought at the store. And he decides to bring Christmas back to the Whos, and he celebrates with them. And he becomes... A, a Christmassy type of guy after that. So I really enjoyed revisiting this. And uh, Dr. Seuss is uh, a genius with rhyme and making up words. And it's it's just very fun. The musicality of the story and the, the thought behind it um, and, and the messaging was, was really lovely to revisit. And I really enjoyed it a lot. And I recommend it to anybody who's having a hard time like me and feels like Christmas should be like the Olympics and only happen every four years. I'm getting head shakes from my sisters because <laughs> Julie and I both love Christmas. Um, and honestly, I love Christmas too. It just takes me a minute to get into the spirit because I, I feel like I, I put a lot of pressure on myself. Well, yeah. Um, one of my uh, journalism students uh, this year told me of a theory she had about the Grinch. Her theory was that, uh, Somebody killed Santa Claus and Santa Claus became the Grinch. And that's why he lived up on the top of Mount Crumpet. And her theory was that the Lorax was the one that did it. Super dark. I reject why did that. She the- <laughs> <laughs> no, immediately no, just no. That's fine. <laughs> It doesn't make any sense. It's interesting. I know. It's very, it's very imaginative. But, and keeps it within the Seuss universe. If, he's, if somebody killed him, is Whoville purgatory? Like, what Maybe. is it? Maybe. Then how does Horton hear a who? Where's Horton? <laughs> I don't know, Mind but it got you thinking. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, Megan, how would you feel about talking about the book that you chose? I would feel great about it. 
Um, so I chose the Polar Express, written by Chris Van Allsburg. Um, it was originally published in 1982, and it was a winner of the Caldecott Medal, which means it was the most distinguished children's picture book for that year. Um, they turned it into a film in 2004, um, and... Just a synopsis of this story, uh, a, ch- a young boy uh, gets picked up by a train in his backyard one night and it, on Christmas Eve, and it takes him to the North Pole where he meets Santa, and Santa gives him the gift of a little um, bell from a reindeer's harness, and the bell, if you believe in Santa, you can hear it ring, but once you lose that belief in Santa, you can no longer hear it ring. Um And I chose this book because I don't know, I don't necessarily remember reading it a whole lot when I was a child. I became more kind of entranced with the story, I think, once the movie came out. Um, But just that idea of having physical evidence that the North Pole and Santa exist that you can kind of use as a litmus test as you go throughout your life of, you know, as long as you can hear the bell then you know Santa's real. Um, I just thought that that was really, really kind of a beautiful idea. And I've, I'm I'm a 90s child, which means I am extremely nostalgic for my childhood, as I think many 90s, 90s kids are. Um, there's a reason why they reboot all of the shows from the 90s, because they were really good. Um, and people my age like looking back at that. But... Uh, just and I also think that I kind of believed in Santa the longest out of the three of us. I feel like I remember Julia telling me I was in like the seventh or eighth grade, and Julia told me that Mom asked Julia if I she had to ask Julia if I still believed in Santa because Katie and I were not going to burst that bubble. Yeah, it was good no. for us too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, but yeah, just the idea of belief in what you can't see um, is kind of what makes this story magical. And I still, there's a, a part of me that, you know, if I find a, a, a sleigh bell, maybe I'll give it a ring and see if it's uh, if it still rings for me. Um, but I found a, an interview that Chris Van Allsburg did with Houghton Mifflin, because that was who published it. Um, and... My favorite question that he answered was, uh, did this story take you long to write? And he wrote, or he said, the Polar Express was the easiest of my picture book manuscripts to write. I created only one draft and had to make only a few changes to the text. Once I realized the train was going to the North Pole, finding the story seemed less like a creative effort than an act of recollection. I felt like the story's narrator, that I was remembering something, not making it up. Um, and I feel like that's just totally, I, I totally connected with that because it just feels like the story itself of the picture book is very simple. And when you, if you compare it to the movie, the movie definitely had to build out the story uh, to make it a full length feature film. Like if it was just the, the story in the book, it would be like a 10 minute film. Um, but the kind of thinking of going back to childhood memories, that's kind of really how it reads. Yeah. And the also looking at like the pictures in it, um, they were really also peaceful. They're beautiful. 
Um, they were detailed, but they still had enough like parts of it that were abstract that left things to the imagination. Like you could look at the picture and I don't think he ever actually showed Santa's face. So you could kind of picture what Santa looked like. You could picture what the elves looked like. Um, but I thought that was really cool. One thing I wanted to mention, cause I thought it was interesting that Katie said something similar with um, Dr. Seuss kind of writing the Grinch after himself is I wonder how common that is for children's books in general, because it seems like Dr. Seuss, I guess for anyone writing, they do a lot of um, based on their own experiences, but I wonder if it's different writing a children's book feeling like you're really recollecting something from your childhood. I don't know. Something to ponder. Ponder worthy. I agree. Yeah. Oh, before I forget, um, my favorite four-year-old, this is his absolute favorite uh, story because he he loves trains. Um, so I went and did a little off-roading interview with him. Um, and I think Julia will insert that somewhere around here. All right. I'm here with my favorite almost four-year-old. Can you tell everybody what your name is? Evan. Good job, Evan. We're going to talk about one of Evan's favorite stories. Do you know what that's called? The Polar Express. Good job. What do you like about the Polar Express? Um, that um, I have been taught to go to before. Hot chocolate river. You like the hot chocolate part? Yeah. yeah. Is that your favorite part? Yeah. What else do you like about the Polar Express? Um, the ice. The ice? Yeah. You like it when the train goes through the ice? Yeah. Yeah. What other things do you remember about the story? Um, the hot chocolate part and the um, Santa part and the bell part. What do you remember about the bell? Um, it fell off. Um, one of the reindeer's harnesses. That's right. What is, do you remember what was special about it? No. No? Do you remember that the little kids could hear it ring, but the adults yeah. couldn't? Yeah. Do you have any idea why that was? No. No? Not sure? Can I tell you? Yeah. So the little kids could hear it because they still believed in Santa, but the adults couldn't hear it because they had stopped believing in Santa. What do you think about that? Um... No. No, you don't like that? No. No? Okay. You said you also remembered Santa from the story. What do you remember about Santa? Um, um, I don't know. Not sure? Okay. No. Was there anything else you wanted to share about the Polar Express? Um, yeah. What do you want to say? The ice. You like the ice. Yeah. What did you like about the ice? I liked it about the ice because I like to eat ice. You like to eat ice? Yeah. Very cool. Anything else that you want to talk about? No. No? Okay. Can you say goodbye? Goodbye. Goodbye. Good job. And Merry Christmas? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And happy early birthday to Evan, who's turning four in a couple days. Oh, what a cutie. Happy birthday, Evan. Happy birthday, Evan. So glad to have you on the show. You're famous now. <laughs> Well, thank you for bringing that, Megan. That was a really nice book to revisit as well. Thanks. All right. And I think Julia is going to round out our discussion with The Night Before Christmas. 
this is true. Um, when I don't remember who posed this topic for a show, but when it was posed, I knew that I wanted to talk specifically about this book. It's actually more of a poem, but I wanted to talk about this because I had run across it um, when I was working on my other podcast, Nostalgia Minute, and it has a very interesting history. Buckle up, ladies. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm a little scared. Buckled. And maybe it's just interesting to me. So um, play along anyway. Um, <laughs> but The Night Before Christmas is credited to um, Clement C. Moore as being the author. But it is widely felt that he is not actually the author. <laughs> um, Twist. Yes, and this uh, this was originally called Account of a Visit from St. Nicholas, and it was published in 1823. I believe it was published in like a magazine or a newspaper, probably more like. According to an article from Reed from November 2011, legend has it that Moore wrote the poem for his family while headed home in a sleigh after buying the Christmas turkey. But in his book, Author Unknown on the Trail of Anonymous, Don Foster um, busts that claim wide open. He says that Moore, a wealthy biblical scholar and poet, falsely claimed credit for the poem in 1844. So about 20 years after it was originally published, he took credit for the poem. Um and in his book, Foster actually, who is a professor at Vassar College in Poughkeepsie, New York, and he works to analyze writings of anonymous or questionable authorship. So he's the perfect person to investigate this. Um, and he says that no two individuals write exactly the same way using words in the same combinations or with the same patterns of spelling and punctuation. Writing style is as unique as fingerprints or DNA. Foster actually heard about this controversy from a great, 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 great niece of the, who he believes is the original author, who she came to him and asking for his help to prove that Clement Seymour did not write this book. And that it was actually one of her family members that did, um, and the real author, Foster claims, is a little-known Dutch-American poet named Henry Livingston Jr. Um, and he was an officer in the American Revolution who lived in New York. Livingston's descendants have always believed that credit for the poem was stolen from their ancestor and asked Foster to investigate the literary mystery. And there they say that Clement Moore was able to take authorship for it because Livingston died in 1828 so they didn't find out right away it's not like they had social media or anything back mm -hmm. then they didn't find out right away that Moore was taking credit for for this poem um wait I might have missed you say this but how did Livingston get his or Moore get his hands on the poem to begin with that is a good question 
I don't know exactly, but he did start taking credit for it two decades later. And I believe in Don Foster's book, he says that it was just um, mistakenly attributed to him. And he just never said, nope. Uh, um, hmm. And there wasn't anybody there to, like... To fact check that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Who knew that was see. a job? It sounds fascinating, and I'm actually yeah. really interested in reading the whole book. I kind of skimmed through the part about this. Um, but before I talk about that more, I just want to say that um, this actually ties it in. But Don Foster actually, um, he compared more to um, the Grinch. He hated Christmas. He hated children. He was not jolly. He was not. <laughs> it. He didn't seem the personality to write this sweet little, the sweet little poem about seeing Santa Claus on New on Christmas Eve. Uh, um. Aha. Yeah. <laughs> proof is in the pudding. <laughs> <laughs> this is all the proof I need, but um. He has an example of just a, a, a letter that um, Livingston was writing to his brother and just the way that it's written, it's, it's in the same kind of rhythm of the night before Christmas. Um, so it was the night before Christmas when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Like you hear that rhythm, da, da, dum, da, da, dum, da, da, dum, da, da, dum. Um, and Here's just a sample of a letter he wrote to his brother. To my dear brother Beekman, I sit down to write 10 minutes past 8 in a very cold night. Not far from me sits, with a valency cap on, our very good cousin Elizabeth Tapon. Like, <laughs> boom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he pretty much, without a shadow of a doubt in his mind, feels that... Um, what was this? Henry Livingston Jr. is the author of Twas the Night Before Christmas, and I agree. The defense rests. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, no matter, whoever wrote this poem actually changed the way that Americans thought about Santa Claus. Because before he was kind of like a scary entity, almost like Krampus. Like he was not not jolly, not anything. Like this, the cute little bowl full of jelly belly like he is and what was the year that this came out again um it was first published in 1823 and it was published anonymously mm. um okay. and it was published oh here it is it was published in a newspaper in troy new york so and from then on it became very popular and was published over and over and over and um yeah more was more than happy to like yeah i wrote that so on, on most mm -hmm. copies available now is moore's name still listed on it yes interesting so there is no change in that and even the copy that i have which is a little golden book version um let me see the year on this 2001 um let me see i wonder what year Author Unknown was published. These would have been good things to look up before. 
It was published in 2000. So, yeah, nothing professional show here. Yet. I know, right? <laughs> but um, not only did Santa Claus become more of a jolly, happy figure uh, resulting from the popularity of this poem, but it was also um, the first time that the notion of flying reindeer were introduced, which I didn't huh. know. And I'm like, interesting. Like, I yeah. wonder, I wonder, I'm so curious now. How did he come up with that? But yeah. He saw it. And also before <laughs> before is. this, yeah, before he has this, his own little reindeer bell from the reindeer's harness and it rings for him. Or yeah. <laughs> before this also, um there weren't it was almost kind of blasphemous to <gasps> celebrate Christmas. Maybe he killed Santa. Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um but anyway, uh, yeah, this gave Americans a new idea how to celebrate the holiday at home, which I fully endorse and can get behind. Um, and I also just want to recommend Author Unknown, Tales of a Literary Detective by Don Foster, because he not only talks about this story, um, but he talks about Shakespeare. I was just um, going to ask if he and does the Unabomber and the Unabomber. Yep. Just a, okay. I have to read this stuff. one. Um, well, that's cool. And I, there's, there's not a more quintessential Christmas story, parable, tale, whatever, whatever you want to call it. It's fully immersed itself in pretty much every depiction of what Christmas is now. We were just watching the Santa Claus last night, and there were notes of that in there with the the Rose such, such a Gladder company. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and then with Nightmare Before Christmas, there's so many different spins on it, and it's it's just kind of become part of the the tradition and the culture. So it was a great mm-hmm. one for us to talk about. I agree. And thank you for that information, Julie. That was really interesting. Mm-hmm. All right, and so to to round out the episode and to round out the year, we're we're almost at the end of 2021. We wanted to do a quick check in of some of the the goals that we set at the beginning of 2021, uh, starting with our Goodreads book challenge. We each set a challenge for ourselves within uh, the Goodreads app. If uh, if you're not familiar with that, it's a place that you can go to kind of track the things that you've read, rate them. Um, and and leave reviews on it if you like. You, and they they have lots of good recommendations and um, awards every year on on that app. So it's, it's a it's a pretty neat one to participate in. Um, all three of us set ourselves a reading challenge, which you're able to choose a, a number of books that you're planning to finish throughout the year. And we wanted to just kind of check in on that goal first. So uh, does anybody want to start? I'll go first. Um... I set a goal of 30 books for myself, and so far I have read 43. Um, so nice. I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty proud of myself. I can't. I think last year I, I, I usually set 30 just because it sounds like a good number. And last year I want to say I got like 36 or something like that. So I've read more this year than in years past. Um, but I'm currently in a little bit of a reading rut. And I will Again? blame. I feel oh, like I know. this time last year it was the same. <laughs> no, it wasn't this time last year. It was like the beginning of the school year last year, um, like August of 
2020 was when I was in a reading rep, but now this year I'm going to go ahead and just blame uh, the Hallmark movies. <laughs> it's where all my spare time is going to, and I don't have any. And I, I'm also just very much in need of winter break. I am having a hard time sitting down and trying to focus on reading. Like it, My attention span is that of a seventh grader, and if a seventh grader in December... Um, anybody who has a child that age or has ever taught middle school knows that it is, we're in herding cats season, season right now. So, um, I don't have a whole lot of energy to expend elsewhere. That is Um, fair enough. Yeah. And then my, I believe that my, uh, new year's resolution that I set never intending to fulfill because I I, I'm not a New Year's resolution person. I tend to set a New Year's resolution and then not ever fulfill it. So I just have stopped. Um, so I set the New Year's resolution of reading Wuthering Heights because I knew I did not want to read it. So I did not read it. <laughs> Good job. Thank you. <laughs> Slow clap for Megan. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, that's that's good progress on your goals for the year. I'd say you you, you met them all. Yes. I would <laughs> all right. So I'll go next. I set a reading challenge for myself of 50 books. And this is the first year that I've I've done this in Goodreads. So I, I wasn't quite sure what to expect. But I, I did um, complete that challenge as of September 7th. And so far, I'm at 65 books on the year. Good job. Thank you. Um, And my New Year's resolution book was to read at least one of those, uh, what I thought at the time were fancy collection border books that were like classics and super literary. (laughs) I have not finished that yet, but I started reading um, A Call in the Wild by Jack London, which I think I can finish before the end of the year. It's only 87 pages. So I'm going to do it. And I, I'll be Good able to say that I work. <laughs> Julia. All right. So. My reading challenge number this year. Is 150. <gasps> More than Katie and me combined. <laughs> I mean, to be fair. And double. Vicious. I am a librarian, um, so I kind of have to read widely and a lot. I have not finished yet. I am at 140, um, but I am currently reading five books right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I'll be able to, because I'm also trying to finish a manga series that I started this year and I have four more volumes to go. Um, Which one is that? Four more. It's called the promised Neverland. And I think Katie would really like it. I don't, you might like it, Megan. The first one was kind of shocking, but once you get past that, I think you might like it. It's not, it's not really scary, Um, but it does have monsters in it. Um, so I think between reading those and my my padding is graphic novels. I don't put Mine on too. just just to say I don't want to I don't put on picture books or like 
books like that. I don't add those to my um, reading challenge numbers. Um, but to check in with my New Year's resolution books, I have read them all. And they were Pride and Prejudice, Ooh. which I can now say that I've read. Those books are hard to read. Did you read it or listen to it? or I listened to it. It counts. <laughs> it counts. Um, I was just curious. Did you enjoy it? It felt better to listen to it because just the way they talk is not easy for me to read in my head. Yeah. Um, it's very different style than the way it's, things are written now. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. But yes, I'm I'm glad I have read it. I also read The Gratitude Diaries, How a Year Looking on the Bright Side Can Transform Your Life. I have not necessarily been looking on the bright side since then, but there are some good (laughs) tips and tricks in there um, if you would (laughs) like to be more, have more gratitude in your life. This has been a tough year. Julia, I'm thankful for you. A couple years. Oh, goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then the other book was called, which I also had to listen to because when I introduced it last year or at the beginning of this year, I said that I tried to start it a few times and couldn't, just couldn't. Um, why can't I find it? I believe it's called, it's part of the Nevermore series. Oh, I know which one you're talking about. The Trial... Oh. Morgan Crow or something like that. Yeah. Have Have you seen your kids reading that one? No, but it's likely going to be one of the books chosen for Battle of the Books this year. So I'm going to have to read that one. What is Battle of the Books? Um, It's, uh, I don't know, it, it, in my district, the middle schools do this. Um, So they choose like four books and the students that want to compete in it like they read the books and then they have to answer questions about the books um and Hmm. the whichever's like you battle against all of the other middle schools in the district that sounds fun but yeah so i haven't finished my reading challenge yet but i did read all three of the books that i chose for my new year's resolution readings nice we're winning at life (laughs) i'm proud of us good job guys yeah it has been a rough year reading (sighs) and talking with you guys about reading has been one of the highlights though so thank you for this constant lightness and fun that we get to do at least once a month yes we do the fun All right. I think that is there anything. Did you guys have any other thoughts or anything you wanted to add? Just happy holidays, everybody. Yeah. Happy holidays. However you celebrate them, especially if you're reading. Thanks for listening in and we will talk to you next time. Until then, read, share and repeat. Bye. 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 (laughs) Welcome to Sibling Library. (laughs) I don't know what's happening. I've lost it. Do you want someone else to do the intro? No. Okay.
um, Julia, please cut this out if you don't like it. But um, <laughs> she said. Just before you continue, you don't have to tell me that. Like, I cut stuff out all the time, with or without your permission. She's ruthless. (laughs) Tui, I don't want to talk anymore. I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk. You don't want to talk anymore? Yes, I do. No, I don't. Is it yes or no? No. Yes. No. That brings us to a close on this chapter of Sibling Library. Thank you for listening. Until next time, let's read, share, and repeat. <laughs>